This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Matt, our card for this week is an unprecedented first. We have Mark Grace, first baseman for the Chicago Cubs, number 42T. 42T as in Tom, or T as in traded. The first card from the traded set that comes out after the original set. So this is very exciting, unprecedented, and I think also portends some dire consequences for the length of this podcast series, David. But we will get back to that in a minute because we have a lot of follow-up, first of all, from last week's episode with Kent Tocolvi. The Kent Tocolvi episode stirred all sorts of rumblings in the Kuzma clan. First, an outpouring of generosity from my cousins, from my brother, from my parents, and from all sorts of family members, and especially from my cousin, Samantha, who is a registered nurse, works at the VA hospital in Pittsburgh, great lady, and sent me a Kent Tocolvi figurine. It's about... About six inches high, I would say. He's in a, a most disturbing pitching motion. His glasses. <laughs> His glasses are drawn with much too thick of a frame, I think, for accurate, but it's still amazing. So this was sponsored by Giant Eagle, the, I'm sorry, John Eagle, the uh, grocery chain in Pittsburgh, and PNC Bank when they were, I think, commemorating the 25th anniversary of the 1979 World Series produced a number of We Are Family figurines. And this is the Kent Tocolvi figurine. So thank you, Sam. I really appreciate that. The second bit of follow-up from my family is that I knew this story, but I think that I had forgotten it, was that my parents and my aunt and uncle, my Aunt Marcia and my Uncle Gene, we're at Game 5 of the, of the 1979 World Series. It's one that the Pirates won 7-1. to one. It was part of that epic comeback from down three games to one to win the World Series. I enjoyed the Facebook wall. I liked a lot of the, <laughs> the posts there that there were a lot of good Kuzma family thanks and people listening who appreciated your words about your family and the kind of dedication that you dedicating that to your to your aunt and to some of your other Pittsburgh family members. Enjoyed that greatly. Also enjoyed the fact that your parents were at the game that Burt Bly Levin, I heart to fart, Burt Bly Levin, <laughs> got a win in the World Series. That's fantastic. Yeah, the, the flatulence connection goes deep with my family, apparently. <laughs> <clears throat> and continues to this day. David, we also need to follow up on... One thing from the rule book that you looked up in the last episode about Kent Colvey, and that has to do with a pitcher switching positions mid-inning. We, we checked the rules and got some follow-up in the mailbag about that. Thanks to listener and Beagle enthusiast, RBI baseball correspondent Brian, for the follow-up on the Waxahachie swap. Waxahachie, not the indie band that is uh, named for a river in Alabama. This is named for a city in Texas. The Waxahachie Swap was was named as such for a manager who is from Waxahachie, Texas, who was particularly adept at using this skill, switching out a pitcher, then moving the pitcher to the outfield, then moving them back to the mound. Recently, when Major League Baseball instituted the three-batter rule, it seems like the Waxahachie swap is now dead because 
a pitcher has to face three consecutive batters, unless I, I want a pitcher to play for three batters at first base, which unless you got Kent Tocolvi playing his stellar outfield for three straight batters, <laughs> you probably don't want to do it. Yeah, too much of a liability. The last bit of follow-up is a player who was involved in that Waxahachie swap with Kent Tocolvi and is a player that we mentioned in two straight episodes, and that's Grant Jackson. And we had an update we wanted to give about him. Grant Jackson's name came up because he was traded for Ken Phelps at one point, and he played for that 1979 Pirates team. Grant passed away in February of 2021 due to complications from COVID-19. Grant pitched for 18 seasons, was an all-star in 1969 for the Phillies. A big part of that, we are family, Pirates team with a 3-0 record, six scoreless appearances in the playoffs, including the win in Game 7. And Grant Jackson just recently passed away, and Kent Tocolvi said of his teammates passing, he never got enough credit for what he added to our ball club. It's just a sad, sad day. Thank you, David, for that. And we will have a link to his obituary in the show notes as well. That wraps up our follow-up. Now let's get to our card for today. Again, card 42T, and that is Mark Grace. This is the first Tops appearance for Mark Grace before his 1989 Tops card. And this was a suggestion from a listener. Yes, listener Bill suggested Mark Grace. He actually suggested we do Grace and Leon Durham because they were both first basemen listed on the 1988 Cubs team. And it turns out their fortunes were tied together. But Bill suggested because you have Mark Grace here as this young first baseman coming up and Leon Durham as the established first baseman making a million plus dollars a year. And Grace ends up being the starter for much of the 1988 season. Both guys had eventful careers, and Mark Grace was one of my favorite Cubs as well growing up. So we decided to split the the cards up and just do Mark Grace's card. Yeah, it makes sense. Two players with more than enough story for one episode. But we thought it was still a really good suggestion. And I happen to have Bill's number because he's my father-in-law. So we thought, why not bring why not bring Bill on the show to talk about being a Cubs fan and talk about Mark Grace? So Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me on your show. It's great a great opportunity and I always like to talk baseball and the Cubs for sure. Awesome. So before we get more into Mark Grace, because your fandom predates Mark Grace, we wanted to ask you just about being a Cubs fan. I know that you grew up on the South Side. How on earth did you become a Cubs fan? Well, that is an interesting story because obviously there weren't many South Siders that were Cub fans, especially ones that were maybe as diligent as my brother and I, Jim. But I think when I think back about that, and my brother and I have talked about that some, that we had a next-door neighbor, and as you know, in Chicago, the houses are very close together, and he and my dad didn't get along as well, and he was a, a strict White Sox fan. So I think that's kind of probably what happened is that, well, hey, we, we listened to our dad, Barney, and uh, Barney <laughs> says, hey, you know, we should be a Cub fan. And he did have some relatives up north, too, so that we, uh, we had a good time with following the Cubs. Obviously, it was very easy with WGN, and like you said, my fandom predates Mark Grace, and my fandom at my age probably predates lots of things. When we were growing up, my brother and I would come back from school and we would watch Jack Brickhouse on WGN. It was kind of a just a thing, normal thing to do, so uh, it was fun, and uh, you just became a, a more stringent Cub fan, obviously, because of the availability of watching so many games. Well, as as a White Sox fan, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many neighbors I've 
turn to cub fandom living on the north side well i also love that it somewhat started out of spite uh, that's right, like right. <laughs> right right but in the end it ended up with the best of intentions bill you had mentioned that you were an usher of some kind yeah well andy frayne was an organization uh, that started in the maybe in the 1930s or so i, I don't go that far back obviously but but uh, andy frayne does and andy frayne had all the you know the ushering capabilities or for the fan control and everything else at Wrigley Field back when I was growing up. And I found out from a friend that you could be an extra. An extra was you show up at the park about 10 or 10.30 and you have to wear your dark pants. They give you a sport coat and you got to have some shine shoes, of course. But you were an usher and you got there. I can't remember what the pay was, whether it was 7 or $8 a day. Maybe, maybe it could have been even as high as $15 a day. But after five and a half innings, you were free to do whatever you wanted, which obviously included staying for the game. And it was it was quite a trek for me living way on the south side. And even at my relatively young age at that time, I don't know, I probably took two or two or three different modes of transportation away from the south side. I had other jobs for the summer, but uh, that was something that you can do kind of on the side and on the weekend, too. So really quick side note, I was supposed to be an Andy Frayne extra for the Beatles at Comiskey Park, but oh. got there too late because I oh. obviously under mis- underestimated the, the traffic flow for the Beatles that day. <laughs> that sounds like the best job possible. That sounds really fun. Half work and half of a baseball game. So, Bill, one of the things you mentioned to me about being a Cubs fan growing up was going to Southern Illinois University mm-hmm. and having your Cubs fandom run up against the best fans in baseball. Yes, SIU in Carbondale campus is only about two hours from St. Louis. I mean, I knew there were obviously St. Louis fans and kind of the like normal Illinois or Champaign was probably the the cutting point, you might say, where you started getting more and more St. Louis fans. But obviously, when I was down in Carbondale, there were many people from down in Southern Illinois, but there was still quite a contingent from Chicago. So we it was still about a 50-50 with, with the students that we knew and that we hang around with, my wife Mary and I. And we would often go to St. Louis with a contingent of Cub fans, students, caravanning several cars and, and taking on a game at Bush and you know doing our part to, to, to root on for the Cubs, even in the home territory of the Cardinals. I'm guessing 1969 was an interesting year to be a Cubs fan at SIU. Yes, it was. It was great. And it was it was frustrating, as you know, the, the, the culmination. But and and we did get the games down there sometimes on TV, so it was fun, and we watched quite a few and things like that. But you know, Ron Sano clicking his heels and all the things that went with the Cubs and the peculiarities of Leo DeRocher's managing skills. And but that was quite the team. You know, Billy Williams, Ernie Banks, and the crew, Fergie Jenkins, all were, were great. You know, great great players and great people. And what my favorite Cub of all time is Ron Santo. That's a good choice. Also a great broadcaster <laughs> and a true Cubs fan. So one thing we wanted to ask you about was Mark Grace in particular, who we're going to talk about more in just a minute. Mark Grace was a very beloved player by Cubs fan. And your daughter, Cindy, who it was her favorite uh, player. I've, I've got you know the autographed picture right here. Great, that, great. Got the autographed <laughs> picture right here that mm-hmm. hung on her bedroom wall, I think, for many, many years. What was it about Mark Grace that made him so special to Cubs fans? Well, I think you can compare him as a low-power Anthony Rizzo as far as home runs, but he's kind of the face of the franchise so much at that time. Great defensive player. He was very good with interviews and dealing with the press and just a well-liked player. One time we did travel out 
to uh, Arizona, flew out there and went to spring training. We had the picture and, you know, there were a lot of autograph signing back then and, and had the opportunity. And, you know, obviously Cindy was extremely excited and with that picture and meeting Mark Grace and all that. So it was just a, a great opportunity for, for such an event and for a great player like Mark Grace. One last story I wanted to ask about was how your dedication to the Cubs led you and your brother Jim to break into my apartment. Do you want right. to, can you explain yourself? Well, brother Jim was a teacher in Chicago and it was a day game and he got away early or something. I'm pretty certain as best recall is that you left the key somewhere for us. We went in the house and we came back out for something and the door closed and oh, but our clothes was still inside. I don't even know if we had maybe our shoes are on, not on, or something. but there was some reason we'd have to definitely had to get back into the house. So we found a stepladder uh, hanging in the alley somewhere, or laying in the alley, or you know maybe it was a, somebody that was doing some work around there, and and somehow broke in the front window of your apartment. Right, we got got in and got our stuff and got to the game probably just a little late. <laughs> some south side skills put to work so well done <laughs> it wouldn't have been the first time that somebody showed up shoeless to a cup <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so i know that you collect cars but did you ever collect cards oh for sure baseball card oh yeah that was part of growing up we would trade cards and i think we had a collection of cards from the mid 50s is kind of when we started collecting card and would obviously look at American League, National League, you usually had more favorites and things like that. But if you got the good cards and, and uh, traded with other kids in a neighborhood, I grew up in a, a Polish neighborhood in the south side there, and we had many experiences with the cards. And I think a lot of people my age, they have the stories of whatever happened to their baseball cards. And it's <laughs> always, yeah, my mother gave them to my younger cousin, or I got back from the military and they were gone. I don't know what happened. So we did lose all of the National League cards somehow because my mom was very nice to all the relatives. But somehow, well, the American League ones, I think Jim still has. So I was going to ask if you cared for them as meticulously as you do for the cars. <laughs> yeah, well, I still have a collection of some, you know, special Cubs cards and a few others that I have. And yes, we take care of them. And doing this show reminded me of them, so I dragged them out and Refreshed my memory and had some really nice ones there that I didn't even know I had or forgot I had, I should say. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show with us and for the suggestion and for being a great listener. And we'll let you know if uh, when there are other Cubs opportunities coming up. Well, thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it very much. Good luck, you guys. You're doing a great job. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Well, that was great, David. So now let's get back to Mark Grace and the front of this card. This is a good-looking card. In many ways, the color scheme is perfect. You've got Cubs in blue. You've got a blue hat. You've got a blue shirt, a blue undershirt. You've got Mark Grace nameplate in blue. You've got red trim, a red belt, white pants. Everything's red, white, and blue. But for some reason, they picked the picture where Mark Grace has got his eyes shut. What in the world? You got a good-looking Mark Grace with his eyes closed. I think it might have just been that they didn't have a ton of pictures of Mark Grace. Didn't know that he was going to become the Cubs starting first baseman. But yeah, there this is this is one of the worst pictures. It's really unfortunate. It also shows that film was pretty expensive, I think, back then, and so they just weren't taking a lot of pictures. Print it. Just print it. Yeah, bright sun, eyes closed, not a good look. Flipping to the back of the card, again as we discussed 42T, Mark Grace first baseman, 62190, left-handed batter and thrower, drafted by the Cubs in 1985. 
Born June 20th, 1964 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina with a home in La Mesa, California. And David, this is the first card we've looked at that have that has no major league stats at all. It just has minor league stats. Also notable, I share a birthday with Mark Grace. That is another reason why he's one of my favorite <laughs> my favorite Cub player growing up, a guy who had the same birthday as me. Don Baylor also had the born on June 28th. You know, we had Incavelia where there were no minor league stats and just maybe one or two lines of pro stats. But because the traded sets came out late in the year, before the final stats were set for the season, they didn't have the 88 stats on there. So they just had the minor league but they knew Mark Grace was in the league as a rookie. They wanted to get him on a card. So you have Peoria and Pittsfield stats. As you said, born in Winston-Salem. Mark Grace moved around a lot as a kid. Stops in North Carolina, St. Louis, Nashville, California. As a kid, he was a St. Louis Cardinals fan and a Keith Hernandez fan. Mm. And he went to Tustin High School in Tustin, California. It seemed like only good pros came out of Tustin. The only guys who played in Major League Baseball were Mark Grace, Heath Bell, and Sean Green. The only players from Tustin to actually make it all the way to the pros. All three were all-stars. A wow. Pretty good record if you actually get to the pros. Grace was a good high school player, but did not get a major scholarship offer and didn't get drafted out of high school. He instead went to a junior college, Saddleback Junior College. Tim Wallach also played at Saddleback Junior College. Grace played well enough to get drafted in 1984 in the 15th round of the January draft. He didn't sign out of Saddleback. He is in the Saddleback College Hall of Fame. Instead, he transferred to San Diego State University where he hit 395. He led the Aztecs in batting average, runs, hits, total bases, doubles, triples, sacrifice flies, and RBIs. So just there's a few the, stats. <laughs> yeah. The star of the San Diego State University Aztec baseball team. I did read he only hit two home runs, which is kind of a theme of Grace's career. Not a big power hitting first baseman. More of a contact guy, doubles guy. He was the team MVP, best defensive player, best offensive player, and somehow honorable mention to the All-Western Athletic Conference. I don't know how, with those stats, he didn't actually make the All-Western Athletic Conference. And this leads to his being drafted after his junior season and the fun fact on the card that Mark was signed as a 24th round draft selection with the Cubs, August 29th, 1985, by Scout Spider Jorgensen. That's the best Scout name we've had so far. Agreed. Is that his actual, is that his name? (laughs) (laughs) That is not his given name. That was a nickname that was given to him as a youth. He was playing basketball, and a teacher saw his shorts that had a stripe on the side of them, and they said that it reminded them of a black widow spider. So Spider Jorgensen's, yeah, a pair of shorts. This is a weird Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's like calling Kent DeColvey Carney. It's It's like calling, if you just called him Glasses. Glasses. (laughs) Speck. Spec for spectacles. Yeah, and and so then for the rest of his career, including as a probably 60-year-old man, he's being called Spider. Spider had an interesting baseball career, though. He made his Major League debut on April 15th, 1947, for the Brooklyn Dodgers, alongside another rookie, Jackie Robinson. (laughs) 
maybe a little bit more notable. But Spider did not have a Hall of Fame career. He had a short major league career, but spent 30-plus years as a scout for Kansas City, Philadelphia, and the Cubs. And he passed away in 2003, just short of his 84th birthday. R.I.P. Spider. Good work on finding Mark Grace. Grace ends up getting drafted by the Cubs and starts at Peoria. And we can see one of the two lines on the back of the card. A very good year for Mark Grace in 1986. Hit 342. He only struck out 28 times. This is a theme of his career. Great contact. Not a lot of strikeouts. He hit 15 home runs, 95 RBIs. And he was the team MVP at Peoria and Midwest League All-Star, earned himself a call up to AA Pittsfield in 1987. Yeah, and that gets to the other fun fact on this card. There's not that many stats, so they have room for two fun facts, so this is good. This is that Mark was the tops Eastern League Player of the Year at Pittsfield in 1987. He led the league in RBIs and slugging, made the All-Star team, and was Loops MVP. Mark belted a Grand Slam home run versus New Britain, June 3rd, 1987. So Pittsfield, looking at this line on the card, 123 games and a 333 average, 17 homers, 101 RBIs, only 24 strikeouts. And he impressed the Cubs since spring training in 1988 and started at AAA. He only spent 21 games at AAA in 88, and he was only hitting 254. The Cubs had Leon Durham at first base, who was struggling on the field and off the field. He was hitting 229 and also dealing with drug and alcohol abuse in 1988. And Grace's emergence in spring training made Durham expendable. Durham was one of the higher paid players on the team. Grace got called up on May 2nd and goes right into the starting lineup. Two weeks later, Leon Durham gets traded to Cincinnati for a reliever and Mark Grace gets put in the lineup for the next 13 years, 14 <laughs> years. To his credit, Leon Durham had only nice things to say about Mark Grace, who took his job. And he said he liked working with Grace in spring training and had no hard feelings toward him. But he did think that the Cubs maybe could have given him a heads up that he wasn't in their plan. Yeah, it worked out well for Grace. Durham ended up in drug rehab in 1988. And uh, we'll talk about him in a later episode. So this, yes, yeah, starts the Mark Grace era in Chicago. Grace has an amazing rookie year. 296, seven homers, 23 doubles, 57 RBIs, and second in the rookie of the year voting. To Chris Sabo, I've seen arguments that Mark Grace deserved to win this rookie of the year, especially among Cub fans. Chris Sabo deserved that. If you look at his stats, he was solid both offensively and defensively. He stole 46 bases as a third baseman. I think he had something like five wins above replacement. Grace, on the other hand, who would later go on to win some gold gloves, led the National League in errors. Grace was the Sporting News Rookie of the Year, so he did get that honor. 1988, a very impressive rookie year. 1989, this is the team with Andre Dawson, Ryan Sandberg, Jerome Walton, Dwight Smith, Mark Grace. You've got Maddox, Sutcliffe, Mitch Williams. This is this is an amazing team for the Cubs. This is like peak my childhood Cubs team. They were 93 and 69. Mark Grace just became a star this season. He hit 314, 13 home runs. He also had 14 steals. He never quite wow. seemed like an athletic guy, but he consistently had four or five triples every season. 
which is pretty good for a first baseman. He finished 14th in MVP voting and fourth in the National League in batting average. And this is the first of nine seasons that he would hit over 300 in his career. And the Cubs won the NL East and get to the playoffs, which I just remember being a huge deal for Cub fan friends in my neighborhood. Yeah, I'm sure. Wondering, is this the year? Is this going to be the year? But the Cubs lose 4-1, so it doesn't last very long. Yeah, and in that sense, it was disappointing for Cub fans, but that was no fault of Mark Grace. He was, uh, true to his nickname, amazing. <laughs> that was a cheesy line, but, you know, got to gotta take him. Grace went 11 for 17 in that series against the Giants. He, a four, a 647 average. I See, I couldn't even say it. 647 <laughs> batting average. Just ridiculous. He had four walks on top of that, so a 682 on-base percentage. In the opening game, he hit a home run. Unfortunately, it was a loss for the Cubs. He also had two doubles, drove in four runs in the one game that the Cubs did win. He even had a triple and a stolen base. There's videos of Mark Grace highlights from this series, and each game I found was 15-plus minutes long. One of them, he had a 20-pitch at bat in Game 1. I think this kind of cemented him as a fan favorite for his performance when maybe the rest of the team didn't quite perform up to standards. Will Clark was the series MVP. Somehow he was even better than Mark Grace. He hit 650 with two home runs and eight RBIs. 1989 ends up a disappointment for the Cubs, losing in the playoffs. And it's almost in another entire decade before the Cubs return to the playoffs. So, David, we're about to reach you know a series of updates about Mark Grace that falls into a familiar pattern of Grace has a pretty good season hitting around 300. Cubs are below 500. But first, in the fantasy world of J.J. <laughs> Abrams... <laughs> In 1990, Mark Grace was featured in the Jim Belushi movie, Taking Care of Business. Matt, Ooh. do you remember this movie at all? Not at all. Not I didn't at all. even recognize the name of this movie. You know, of course, when, when I say Jim Belushi starring vehicle, you, you, you think of so many. Usually featuring a dog a of dog? some kind? I was going to say, yeah. it was, the only, was the only good one? <laughs> I don't even remember what movie it was. It wasn't Mutt, Turner and Hooch. Mutt Patrol or something. <laughs> I don't know. Paw Patrol. <laughs> but Mark Grace is in taking care of business for about 10 seconds. Not risky business, taking care of business. And Mark Grace hits a home run in the World Series in this movie against Burt Blylevin and the California Angels. And Jim Belushi then like climbs up onto the fence from his seat to catch this and makes this amazing catch. And this is the first screenwriting credit for J.J. Abrams, also known for his work in Star Wars... Star oh, Star Wars? Oh, I only know him from Mission Impossible 3. This is the second fantasy work that we've featured on the show that has a fictional Cubs World Series victory. The first one being Richard Marks hitting a home run off of Dennis Eckersley in a fictional Cubs World Series victory in a music video. Only Hall of Fame pitchers from the 1988 Tops podcast featured in... <laughs> film adaptations where the Cubs win the World Series. Grace is really on screen for like three seconds of this. Hits a home run. I don't know exactly what happens. I think that somebody then recognizes that Jim Belushi is on TV in this World Series game and hijinks ensue. Whatever it was, 
for the Cubs at the time, this was as realistic a plot as that of Armageddon. (laughs) Yeah, the reality is that Mark Grace as a player from this point throughout the Cubs' time in the 90s is a solid player. But after that 1989 playoff run, a lot of the big pieces from that team really started aging or left the team. For a few seasons, you have this team stays together. You have an aging Andre Dawson. You have Mark Grace and Sandberg. You have uh, Greg Maddox for a couple seasons. Then you have the Grace and Sosa years after 1992. But a lot of times it's Grace and one other guy and uh, just a cast of misfits around them. And they really couldn't put it together like they did in 1989. But the consistent part through all of it is Mark Grace throughout the 1990s, an average year there. This tells you all you need to know, which is averaging 175 hits a season. An average year would be 12 homers, four triples, 36 doubles, The 1995 season was probably his best individual season, leading the National League with 51 doubles, 16 home runs. He hit 326 and won the gold glove in an all-star game, winning four gold gloves and three all-star games in the decade. And David, this leads us to the best trivia question about Mark Grace. He had the most hits of any player in Major League Baseball in the 1990s. He hit 1,754 hits in the decade. I think it's impressive and just a like a mark of his consistency. And if you look at his stat line, it's like somewhere between 295 and 330. He's going to be in that range of batting average. And you know what you're going to get from Mark Grace. Absolutely. While on the field, you knew what you would get. You'd get a lot of hits. After the game was over, if you found Mark Grace in Wrigleyville, you knew you'd get a lot of shots. He developed a reputation as Maybe an unofficial nightlife outreach director for the Cubs. <laughs> he was briefly married from 1988 to 1993 to Michelle Grace. After they divorced, she married a Chicago White Sox legend, Ray Liotta. But for much of the 90s, you have Mark Grace as just a single guy going out in Wrigleyville and Rush Street after day games and doing the things that people do. In a recent interview, he said that this is part of the reason why he avoided steroids. He was a single <laughs> guy in Chicago, and he wanted to avoid some of the, uh, let's say, uh, side effects. Some of the emasculating side effects that might happen from steroids. Good idea, although it didn't mean that there was no substance use. It's just, you know, smoking and drinking. Yeah, a regular smoker and drinker, and it couldn't have helped his career, but it made him popular with Cub fans out and about in Wrigleyville. You would just see Mark Grace out at a bar, which is odd to think about. We're recording this on a in a time of year where it's still odd to think about being in a bar. I do remember the days fondly and, and hope they come back soon. Nowadays, it, it'd be hard to think of seeing players out in normal because of them being superstars or more likely to see them uh, at the club rather than the bar. Yeah, he just had kind of a down-to-earth attitude and, you know, would would have a beer with fans. That I mean, that makes you friends in Wrigleyville. No doubt about it. So throughout this decade, the 90s Cubs in general were pretty mediocre. Most of the time around 500 or, or just below 500. 1997, they were in last place. But 1998, this is the season we always remember now because of Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. But this is also the year the Cubs finally made it back. 
prior to the season, Harry Carey passed away. So you have that emotional element and that emotional lift that even as a non-Cub fan, it did kind of feel inevitable that the Cubs were going to do something and that, that Harry Carey was watching over them. Not a, not a believer in divine intervention, but I mean, it's Harry Carey. And while this season is best remembered for Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, you also have 20-year-old Carrie Wood striking out 20 guys in, in a game. Mark Grace had a Mark Grace year. He joked that he and Sammy combined for 83 home runs. Of course, Sammy hit 66 of them. <laughs> Mark had a career-high 17 home runs. He also hit 309. But this is a good Cubs team. They happen to finish 12 and a half games behind the Astros in the NL Central, but they tied the Giants for the wildcard spot with an 89 and 73 record. And that leads to one of our favorite things on the 1988 Tops podcast, and that is when there is a 163rd game, really anytime there is a different number than 162 games in a season that a, a team players. We get irrationally excited about it. Extra or few, one fewer game. Yes, extra or not enough baseball. We love it either way. This one is played at Wrigley Field for a spot in the divisional series against the Giants. Grace has two hits and a walk in the game. The Cubs win 5-3 to three and make it to the playoffs against the Braves. Unfortunately, they were swept by the Braves. <laughs> this begins the end of the run for Mark Grace at Chicago. Two more decent seasons in 99 and 2000. But he's, age is starting to catch up with him a little bit. He loses some playing time due to injury in the year 2000. And he's 36. His contract is up. The Cubs look around and they have some prospects coming up. Julio Zaleta and Hesop Choi. And David, they don't even make him an offer. Well, and it's funny that I put those names in there just because like reading news stories at the time, they were like, Well, we have these we have these great young players coming up. Of course, got... Julio Zaleta and Hesop Choi. Yeah, Hesop Choi who played two How... seasons with the Cubs and then I think went to the Dodgers and he was yeah. fine for a couple seasons. You have Mark Grace. Yes, he's getting a little bit older. Maybe they don't want to pay him. But they're just push out the older guy and, and move on to the next thing. And yeah, not even making him an offer. I think it rubbed fans the wrong way. And of Grace wasn't happy about it either. He ends up signing a two-year deal with the Diamondbacks with an option for a third. He said, I know that we play the Cubs nine times this year, and I want to kick there, and then it has but in parentheses. So <laughs> I don't know if that's an expletive deleted, nine times. He said, this is business, and when your employer doesn't want you back, you have to find work elsewhere. I'm a Diamondback. So this is a pretty good team he gets brought onto as well. The Diamondbacks were in the playoffs in 1999 and over 500 in 2000. In 2001, his first year on the Diamondbacks, they have Kurt Schilling, Randy Johnson, Luis Gonzalez. They're ready to go, coming off a couple good seasons. And, you know, Grace had a couple of good moments. He was the first player to hit a home run into the pool at Bank One Ballpark. <laughs> that seems like a good thing for a party guy like Mark Grace to do. I think it's just as as good of a trivia question as the most hits in a decade is the first one to hit baseball into a pool. He had a, a Mark Grace season in 2001, 298, 15 home runs, 78 RBIs. The Diamondbacks finished 92 and 70. They're in the playoffs. Grace plays well in the NLCS against Atlanta, getting hits in all five games, a 375 average, and they play the Yankees in the World Series. 
that series went to seven games, and Grace had some big moments. He had a double and two RBIs in a Game 1 win, a home run in Game 5, and then in Game 7, he leads a ninth-inning comeback, opening the inning against Mariano Rivera, down 2-1 to one in the ninth inning. He gets a leadoff single. Unfortunately, he didn't get to score a run. He was replaced by a pinch runner, but this led off a rally that would result in a 2-1 win and a World Series victory for the Diamondbacks and Mark Grace. I don't know how many blown saves and losses Mariano Rivera has in his career. To do that to him in Game 7 of a World Series is pretty amazing. In his entire postseason career, Mariano Rivera had four blown saves in the postseason. He had more World Series rings than (laughs) (laughs) So this is quite a feat. And the quotes from Grace afterwards, what really feels good is, I wasn't good enough to play first base for the Chicago Cubs, but I was good enough to play first base for the world champions. And that feels really good. I do wonder if there is like a monkey's paw situation where a Cub fan just in 1996 said, I really want to see Mark Grace win a World Series. And then five years later, it's with the Diamondbacks, (laughs) with the team that didn't exist at the time. Yeah, does have one more full year left, 2002. His average started dropping, though, 252. But we do remember him for one other highlight in 2002. And that is continuing a theme that we have here, David, of position players pitching in games. On September 2nd, 2002, Grace came in in a 18 to nothing blowout against the Dodgers to give the bullpen some rest. He'd volunteered. David Ross was a rookie. And Mark Grace threw what looked like a batting practice pitch to him, (laughs) and Ross just destroyed it. It was the first of 106 home runs for David Ross in his major league career. Ross would go on to do something that Grace didn't get a chance to, and that's win a World Series with the Cubs, and now is the Cubs manager. The game (laughs) ended 19-1, to and there's (laughs) video of it here. I think Grace was quoted and said something about, yeah, I didn't see in his scouting report how well he hit 65-mile-per-hour fastballs. (laughs) 2003, he retires after 66 games and begins his retirement, joining the Diamondbacks broadcast team in 2003. And at one point, he was discussed as a possible head coach choice for the Diamondbacks, but instead he's in the broadcast booth. And a theme that started in Chicago and and something that we talked about maybe on the Dennis Eckersley episode is how easy it is when you're playing in Chicago and playing so many day games to just fall into getting done with the game and going out to the bars. And Grace, in retirement, enjoyed the nightlife in Arizona as well and was often out in restaurants and bars. And he got his first DUI in Arizona in 2011. In 2012, he got his second, along with charges of driving with a suspended license, without a court-mandated interlock device that was required for him to start his car after his first DUI. After that second DUI, he was relieved of his announcing duties, and in 2013 was sentenced to four months in Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio's tent city. In Grace's case, he was allowed to leave for work during the day. He was working as a hitting instructor for the Diamondbacks, but he would have to return to tent city from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. This jail was designed with military-grade tents in the Arizona heat, to relieve overcrowding in the county jail. 
and Joe Arpaio himself called it a concentration camp. Some days it would get up to 120 degrees and higher in these tents. Grace, he did it. He slept in the tents. He said that he hadn't had a drink since that night that he got arrested. It seemed like he was able to get back on track with this wake-up call. And after his release, he ends up as a hitting coach in the Arizona system with the A-level Hillsboro Hops. And then in 2015, he's promoted to assistant hitting coach with the Diamondbacks, but was let go in November of 2016 when the team changed head coach. He went back into the Arizona booth. And then in 2020, the Marquee Network, which picked up all the Cubs rights, brought him in to join Len Casper and Dim Deshaies to have him as kind of a rotating cast of former stars. Then there was kind of a weird thing that happened here where he was kind of joking around and talked about going Archie Bunker on something. He was telling a story that didn't really make much sense about a time in Milwaukee where his ex-wife parked in Bud Selig's parking spot or something. He referred multiple times to his ex-wife as a dingbat and was forced to apologize. He was suspended for five appearances, but not fired. He's still listed on the Marquee Sports page, but I'm not sure if he's done any Cubs games this year. And he's still involved in Diamondbacks pre- and post-game shows. We'll see what ends up happening in 2021, which team he ends up doing the most for. But David, as Grace the Player, looking taking his career as a whole, did he get Hall of Fame votes? He was only listed on 4.1% of Hall of Fame ballots, not enough to keep him around for a second year of Hall of Fame voting. Grace and Pete Rose are the only two retired players to lead a decade in hits and not be in the Hall of Fame. Among first basemen with 1,500-plus games, he has the 11th fewest strikeouts, ninth in at-bats per strikeout. His career stats, 303 batting average, 2,445 hits. For the Cubs, he's ninth in games played, fifth all-time in hits, second in doubles, fourth in walks, eighth in RBIs, which is impressive considering he never had 100. He never had 20 home runs, but he was consistently in the top 10 in Major League Baseball in hits, doubles, at-bats per strikeout, and, and batting average. His career OPS is comparable to Don Mattingly, Eddie Murray, and another great contact first baseman, his childhood hero, Keith Hernandez. And like Keith Hernandez, Grace is one of the best ever late round draft picks. Hernandez was drafted in the 42nd round. Grace was in the 24th. I think because of the nature of his play at first base, he's forgotten because he was often overshadowed on his own team by Ryan Sandberg, later by Sammy Sosa. And even in the city of Chicago at first base, you had Frank Thomas playing on the other team. And then you have this guy who just consistently hits 300, but isn't putting up Frank Thomas power numbers, isn't MVP. And so when his name finally shows up on the Hall of Fame ballots, he doesn't make many waves. We looked into it in the Hall of Stats. He was a 78, which is right around where Don Mattingly is ranked. When Once I saw the career stats that we'd put here, I wanted to go straight to hallofstats.com, look it up, and the dividing line for the Hall of Stats is an index of 100. And Mark Race is a 78. The on-base percentage... And defensive stats, I think there's a good argument to make. And really, and, and an all-time favorite from Cubs fans. I think 
you get a lot of people saying their favorite Cub growing up was Ryan Sandberg or Andre Dawson and those MVP types. But I think that there's a good number of Cub fans who would say that their favorite Cubs player is Mark Grace. I had some friends in the bar industry who would talk about Mark Grace and how they would see him out at a bar and he would join you for a beer. And particularly when the Cubs are bad, you at least have somebody who's a good player and the guy who you literally could have a beer with. And for Wrigleyville in the 90s, not a lot of wins, but if you have somebody who's at least seen as down-to-earth, you know, he's a good-looking guy, not unathletic, but kind of normal-looking. He wasn't one of those giant first basemen. He wasn't Mark McGuire. But that can get you into trouble, too. You have, as we learned with Eck, the day games in Chicago can lead to long nights at the bar. And his ability on the field allowed him to overcome whatever he had been doing the night before. But when your athletic career is over, you can't fall back on that performance as a cover for your off-field mess-ups. And it's unfortunate that, that Mark Grace had to have that fall to hopefully get back in line after those DUIs and that time spent in the tent city. A complicated story. One thing before we before we close the episode, though, David, this is our first tops traded card, and so basically we've added now another hundred and ten plus cards to stretch the run of this series to now nine hundred episodes. At some point, you've referred to this as an eternal podcast. I think <laughs> when we were going over all the eighty-eight top sets. I mean, we'll be done with this probably. Before the next trilogy of J.J. Abrams' Star Wars movies. The traded set is pretty interesting. I, I think there's there's going to be some overlap with regular set guys. But then you also have some rookies, some 88 Olympians, new managers. When this card was suggested, it was the only top traded card I had. Uh, I went to CCD. I don't know if, if that is the, the confraternity of Christian doctrine, like Sunday school kind of thing. And at the end of the year, my CCD teacher told us, if you bring in a Mark Grace card, my daughter will get it signed for you. At the time, I think that she worked for his agent, the daughter, or maybe she just like hung out in Wrigleyville and you could just run into (laughs) Mark Grace. But when she said this, I kind of thought like, okay, well, I'll bring in the 89 Topps rookie, you know, the all-star rookie card. When I got the mail back, it was this Topps traded card. And I had never owned one of these because you would have to buy the whole set. You couldn't just buy them in packs. And so somewhere at my parents' house, there's a signed version of this Mark Grace Topps traded card. And and for that reason, I thought it was a special card for me. We both, you know, I, I have a signed one. We share a birthday. We both spent time in Wrigleyville bars. He was my, my favorite Cubs player as a White Sox fan. I love it. Well, it was a, a great suggestion Thanks again to Bill for sending that in. If you have suggestions, of course, please reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 1988tops. You can also email us at 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. And if you've ever had a rookie card sent to you by a nun, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us at tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.